So last week, uh, we began uh, our summer series in the book of Psalms. And as we saw, the Psalms are the hymn book of God's people. They, they give language and shape to the worship of God. And this is important because we recognize that the defining characteristic of God's people is worship. Because what you worship will determine every aspect of your life. So what you worship will shape how you live your life, whether it be in your job or in your family or in your marriage or how you parent or in how you engage the world, how you spend your money, whatever it may be, what you worship will shape that. And so the Psalms are absolutely vital to the people of God because they shape us. Last week, we reflected on how singing and music are important parts of our spiritual formation. And that is why God has given us his word in the form of songs. And this morning, now we are going to jump into Psalm 1. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to just walk through the first eight psalms and take time to look at specifically how the psalms are intended to shape us and sort of what themes and truths they are shaping our hearts around. And so right out of the gate, Psalm 1 confronts us with this question. Where is the blessed life to be found? If you want to walk in blessing, how do you do that? Where do you find that? Now, you may think the word blessing is somewhat a a sort of religious slogan or jargon, maybe a little bit superficial. Maybe you've, you've encountered people that, you know, kind of carry this sense of like, oh, I'm just blessed. You know, hi, how you doing? Well, better than I deserve, just so blessed. And maybe that rubs you a little weird, kind of like, oh man, what is wrong with this person? Or maybe you're thinking, hey, whatever they're on, I would like some of that. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just, I'm, I'm really jealous of your positivity, if that's you. Uh, you know, if you have a bumper sticker that says hashtag blessed on it, look, more power to you. I, I need some of that. <laughs> but, but maybe that is sort of how you respond to this word. You think that it's really sort of superficial and shallow in some ways. But what scripture holds out for us is that this term blessing, this concept of blessing, is far deeper And it has much more power than we often give it credit for. This biblical concept of blessing is far from shallow and superficial. It's actually deep and profound and cuts right to the heart of life. In in sort of a simple way, blessing just really means happy. And again, we can kind of think of happy in terms of this sort of feeling, the, the firing of endorphins that kind of we experience for a moment and then goes away. But the term happy here, the term blessed, speaks to something far more than just a momentary experience. It gets to like that soul-satisfying happiness. Like deep down, you feel the sense of joy and satisfaction and contentment and peace, no matter what's going on around you. And so to be happy is to have the sense of life-giving satisfaction and joy. To be blessed carries with it the sense that You are thriving and flourishing. It also means, to be blessed also means to carry favor. To to have someone of power and importance look on you with love and and really work circumstances in your favor for your good. And, And such favor, such blessing is important because carrying the favor of someone important, having someone that has power and shows love and and works circumstances for your good, that actually grounds identity. That actually gives us an environment where we can thrive emotionally and spiritually. It allows us to take risks and actually engage life in the world. And so blessing and favor are important. 
See, really, blessing is the difference between a life of joy and satisfaction and beauty and depth and peace and emotional and spiritual health and meaning and purpose and a life of despair and dissatisfaction and shallowness and self-doubt and insecurity and lack of purpose and lack of identity and lack of emotional and spiritual health. So at the end of the day, I think we could all agree we want blessing. We, we want to live a blessed life. We want to have that sense of satisfaction and joy. We want to have that sense that we have favor in life. So the question before us, the question at the heart of Psalm 1 is a question beating within each and every one of us. Where is the blessed life to be found? Where can I find it? Where should I look for it? Turning to Psalm 1, I want to look at two points for us. One, the source of blessing, and then two, the power of blessing. So the source of blessing and the power of blessing. So the source of blessing, we see the psalmist set up with a contrast. He begins with, by, by painting a picture of one who is blessed by starting with a negative and saying, this is not what you do if you want to seek blessing. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So one of the characteristics of Hebrew poetry is that it will often use uh, couplets or triplets as, as a way to create this one overall picture. So these three lines aren't necessarily describing three different categories of people. It's just trying to create this overall picture of lifestyle and really formation. What, what kind of life are you living? What is shaping you, your heart and your mind? And so he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So to walk in counsel is to be shaped by ideas and insights and wisdom of the advice of others. So the blessed is the man whose lifestyle is not shaped by the wicked. It's not shaped by the counsel of the wicked. And that word wicked means those who break God's law. Very simple and straightforward. So, so the psalmist is saying, hey, the blessed life is not found in the counsel, the shaping, the formation that comes when you hang around those who break God's law. Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the way. The word literally means road or path, the way of sinners. So blessed is the one who doesn't follow a path, a lifestyle. So you, again, this theme of lifestyle. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So to sit in a seat is an expression meaning to occupy a place or a role. If I sit in the seat of someone, I'm sort of taking on that person's identity and their lifestyle and their behavior. And so again, blessed is the one who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. In scripture, the word scoffer is someone who hears the word of God, hears the wisdom of God, and just says, nah, not going to do it. And so they, dis they dismiss what is godly and what is true. So blessed is one who doesn't take on the lifestyle and the behavior of a scoffer. So taken together, all three of these lines paint a picture of heart formation. The verbs walk, stand, and sit depict a totality of life and bodily action. The psalmist warns against, hey, don't be formed, don't be shaped, don't give your life over to thoughts and attitudes and behaviors that are contrary to God's character and word. And what we have here right out of the gate, the psalmist is saying, look, blessing is not found in circumstances, it's found in lifestyle. Blessing is not found in circumstances, it's found in a manner of life, the way that you live your life. That is key to this understanding of blessing. So again, let me ask you, what's shaping you? 
What counsel is shaping you? What are you, what voices, what truths, what, what, what counsel shapes what you believe, what you think, your heart attitudes, your behavior? What, what seat are you sitting in, so to speak? Where are you looking to find blessing? What way, what manner of life, what path are you on? All of these questions are being raised in Psalm 1. And really implicit in verse 1, the reason the psalmist starts off by going negative is because he recognizes and understands that we often chase after blessing in sinful, broken ways. He's going with the not because he knows we so often go that direction. So he's warning us right away, hey, there's a pathway that you want to avoid because we are so prone to chasing after blessing apart from God and his truth and his goodness. So what is it for you that can veer you off? What is it for you that you believe, hey, if I have this thing, if I'm able to have this thing present in my life, then I know I'll be blessed. Man, if I have success and if I have achievement, then I'll be blessed. Or if I have wealth, if I have a measure of comfort, well, then I'm blessed. Man, if I, if I am good in my relationship, so whether it's my marriage or my kids are well-behaved, and so my family, man, we're just like that ideal family, well, blessed. What is it for you that you think, if I have this thing, I will be blessed? Uh, maybe it's a, it's a measure of fun and entertainment in your life. So comfort can be sort of this freedom from anxiety and worry that that bad things are going to happen. But comfort can also be this, hey, I'm given over to pleasure and fun and excitement. And so I chase after those things because I think, man, I'm blessed with those things. Or maybe self-expression and self-made identity. As long as I have the freedom to be who I am and to find my own identity, well, then I'll be blessed. Or how about this? Who are the people whose favor you need that gives you a sense of blessing? Who are the people that if I have their favor, I'm going to feel a sense of self-worth and I'm going to feel and sense that I'm blessed? Or if I may put it a little more starkly, who are the people that you're bending over backwards, running in this very insecure way to gain their favor and keep their favor because you know, I have to have it if I'm going to be blessed? Oh, we're so prone to this, are we not? We're so prone to think that blessing is found in things like achievement and wealth and comfort and self-expression, or blessing is found in gaining and maintaining the favor of people over and over and over again. We run at blessing in broken and sinful ways. And then we'll listen to counsel that validates this. We will listen to counsel that sort of puts fuel in the fire and says, yes, you should pursue those things. Yes, you should seek favor in those people. Like that the mantra, live your own truth, that's sort of the coin of the realm, right? That's like the the thing that we all live by in this culture and this today. So so to have people tell you, yeah, run after blessing in whatever way you want to define it, like you're not going to have to look far to find someone who will counsel you in that way. And it can so often feel freeing. It can feel empowering. Like when you have people cheering you on in your sinful, broken pursuit of blessing, you can sort of forget that it's sinful and broken and go, oh no, this is good. I should keep going. I should keep doing this. And there's a sense of validation that we can start feeling. 
But here's the truth in all of that. Here's what Psalm 1 confronts us with. In all of that pursuit of blessing, it's a self-made, self-driven, self-centered pursuit. Like our source of blessing becomes self or using other people. And what God's word confronts us with is that is actually no source of blessing at all. That is not the pathway to the blessed life. And look, Christians, we can do this too. Let's not point the finger just at people who don't follow Christ and say, yeah, that's, that's the problem with all those people over there. No, we do the same thing too. We can, we can talk a good game and we can say, yeah, Jesus is my source of blessing. But when we functionally live our life, we're, we're chasing other things. And so Jesus, yes, we believe in Jesus and we follow Jesus. But so often other things will become more important and become greater sources of blessing for us. And so we're all guilty of this. And in contrast to the negative, the psalmist then moves to a positive. What a blessed person does do. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. This is whose mind and whose heart are shaped by the Lord. Like Rather than a self-made, self-driven, self-centered pursuit of blessing, the truly blessed find their blessing in the Lord, in something, someone outside themselves. The one who delights, the one who meditates. The picture here, again, is of lifestyle and formation. God's law, God's word is shaping, shaping your heart, shaping your mind, shaping your affections, shaping the way that you live, the way that you behave, going down to the deepest parts of your soul. Now, let me kind of make an important point here that I want to hang on for a few minutes. What the psalmist is describing is not just learning a bunch of theology. Look, this is not just, man, can I check all the theology boxes? Have I done all of my scripture memorization? Look, those things are good. But the psalmist is talking about something far deeper than just learning a bunch of knowledge and learning a bunch of facts. It's far deeper than just sort of this rational uh, hat tip to the truth of God's word. It's, It's more than just saying, hey, I have this much information in my brain. Meditation, delighting. This is talking about chewing on God's word, ruminating on it, letting it seep down into your soul and shape you. It's it's this picture of communing with God. It's a picture of engaging God's word in such a way that it's sparking joy and relationship and transformation. Like when you engage God's word, is it bringing delight? Is it bringing the sense of, I love God more. I want more of God's power in my life. I want more God's spirit to transform me. I want my life to be shaped in the image of Christ. So yes, theology and knowing the Bible, knowing the facts, that's all important. But church, too often, that's all we treat God's word as. And look, I'm guilty of this myself. Like you all pay me to study God's word. It's very easy for me to sometimes just fill my brain with a bunch of facts and call it a day. Where did we come up with this idea that just having knowledge is enough? Just sort of having the facts down and the truths down and saying, yeah, I can, I can ascend to this fact and this fact and this fact, and I know this part of the Bible and this part of the Bible. 
When, when did we sort of just say, that's good. That's all I need to do. Look, do you know who knows more scripture than all of us? The devil, yes, thank you. Like just knowing scripture, just knowing facts isn't enough. And that's not what the psalmist is talking about. He is talking about a transformation, a lifestyle. Look, Christianity is not just a bunch of facts to be memorized and believed. Though we believe truth, though we take truth very seriously, Christianity is a lifestyle. It's a life. It is following Jesus. The heart of Christianity is knowing God as Father, communing with him, being transformed by him. The heart of Christianity is a deep walk in relationship and submitting your life to King Jesus. And so what the psalmist is calling us to, what the psalmist is getting at is a transformation, a delight, a meditation, allowing God's word to be the thing that permeates how you think and how you feel and how you believe and how you act about everything. When this doesn't happen, man, it gets ugly. Why are some of the most knowledgeable people of the Bible some of the biggest jerks? Why are some of the most knowledgeable and theologically sharp and theologically intense people some of the most emotionally and spiritually and relationally unhealthy people? It's because we've baptized our pride rather than letting God's word transform us. And so church, we have to be careful about this. We have to be careful of the way that we handle God's word. Do you delight? Do you meditate? Are you transformed? And parents, if I can just speak to you here a little bit. Like as you raise your kids and disciple your kids, I want you to think in a little bit different category than maybe what you've heard. So before I was in ministry, I taught in a Christian high school, taught in two different Christian high schools, and so partnered with parents a lot in educating their kids. And I taught not only English, but also Bible. And a lot of what I taught was what you would call worldview training. And so you're trying to teach kids the, the, the truths of Christianity and a lot that was good stuff. But here is what I found over and over and over again, teaching both in the Midwest and on the East Coast. Some of my best students no longer follow Jesus. Like kids who could unpack the Bible and who could deconstruct postmodernism and give you a wonderful theological sort of defense of the Christian faith. You call them up now and they would say, I don't even know if God exists. Why? Why? Because what was being shaped was here and no further. What needed to be shaped was here, the heart. And so parents, worldview education is good. Shape your kids' minds. Teach them the truths of scripture. Let, let them go deep into God's word. Help them understand how scripture and God's truth and God's word speak to all things. But teach them to love Jesus. Teach them to delight in God's word. Teach them to meditate on God's word. Give them the sense that Christ is all. Christ is glorious. He's not just some thing to dissect. He's a savior to follow. He's a king to worship. We submit our lives to him and it is a joy. And so we care deeply about theology Everything we do here at First City Church is theologically driven. I want us to be theologically sharp and theologically deep. 
but not so that we can shine our Bible badges, but so that we can experience deep and rich communion with God, so that we can be transformed by his power and by his life, so that the counsel that we follow is his truth. The way that we walk in is the way of Jesus. The seat that we sit in is the seat of the wise and the godly. All the while we delight and meditate on his word. Church, can we commit to that culture here at First City? Can we commit to building that sort of relationship with God's word? Can we love and delight and meditate and be transformed and submit to it even as we study and go deeper into it? That's the blessed life. That's the source of blessing. It comes from God himself. So we considered the source of blessing. Now let's consider the power of blessing. So let me ask, going back to sort of the places where you can identify self-made, self-driven, self-centered sources of blessing. How powerful is that blessing? How, how much staying power does that blessing have? How, how strong is it? Maybe we can just say, really, how blessed is your life? And are you soul-satisfied happy? Are you secure in the favor that you have? Or are you always worried that you're going to lose favor and you have to sort of fight to keep it? Like when we consider the power of blessing, when we recognize that the power is only as good as its source, it should cause us to reflect on where we're seeking blessing. Like, look, I can try to power my car with a nine-volt battery, but I'm not going to get, any fo- get very far, Right? The same thing, we can chase after blessing in all these other different ways and we might experience a little bit here and there and we might be under the illusion that we're actually experiencing a lot of it. But the question we always have to ask is what kind of staying power does it have? Is it the kind of blessing that lasts? Is it the kind of blessing that goes deep? Is it the kind of blessing that, that doesn't just fade away? In verse 3, The psalmist describes the blessing that comes from God and his word this way. He, meaning the blessed man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. We understand for trees to have life, they need a water source. Like a tree growing in the desert or in a place that has an inadequate water source is going to dry up and die pretty quickly. But a tree planted by a stream of water where the water source is abundant, like that tree is going to thrive. It's going to bear fruit. It's going to be strong and have deep roots. It's going to have life and vitality. And this is the promise of the blessing that God brings. When, when the source of blessing is the Lord, there is, our lives are shaped in truth and goodness and they're transformed by his power. And look, that has, there is life there. There's a vitality there. There's there's a joy there. There's a depth there. That is where soul-satisfying happiness that lasts is found. Blessing from the Lord roots us and grounds us. And so here's what this looks like. This is an important distinction. What this does is it gives us blessing in things rather than blessing from things. Here's what I mean. Finding your source of blessing in the Lord allows you to enter into a relationship, whether it be with your spouse or with your kids or with a friend, and to experience blessing in that rather than that being the source of your blessing. Rather than finding from, getting blessing from that, it's in that. 
And those are two very different things. They may feel similar on the surface, but you know what happens when conflict enters in? When sin enters in? When all the imperfection and brokenness of the world comes crashing in? The difference becomes very clear. Finding blessing in those things because your blessing is from the Lord means that your relationships, there can be life there. They can thrive even in the midst of pain and suffering and sin. That, that in your job and in your work and the, the things you give your, yourself to, whether it be your marriage or your parenting or whatever it may be, you can experience blessing in those things even when they're going badly because God's power is at work in you. You see, when we try to f- glean blessing from those things as our source, man, once, they, once the brokenness and the sin in those things starts mucking up the gears, man, our blessing shuts down. We, we lose that sense of satisfaction. We, we start to wrestle with the fact is, hey, hey, am I really blessed? Do I have favor? Who am I? What do I do? But God's word gives us a bigger picture. It, it gives us a vision for what it looks like to be rooted in a, in a true source of blessing that grounds us and brings life to us. It says that we'll be fruitful and whatever we do will prosper. Does that mean everything's going to go well? Let's not be so shallow. Let's not think that it has to be limited to just when things are going well. No, it means that even when things aren't going well, God's power is still at work and you don't have to be crushed or defeated by hardship. You, you can actually experience blessing even in the midst of those things because the power of God is at work in you. So what I am encouraging us towards, what, what Psalm 1 is encouraging us towards is finding a greater source of blessing, one that is actually going to cause us to thrive, one that's actually going to bring life to us, health to us, strength to us, root us deep, and allow us to stand and thrive even in the midst of challenge. In contrast, to the power of the blessed life that comes from the Lord. We get this in verse four. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. If you've ever worked in the fields or on a farm, you've dealt with chaff. It's sort of the dead and lifeless leftovers. It's easily blown away. There's there's no life in it. It's, It's crunchy. You can burn it very easily. You know what I'm talking about? It's sort of that just leftover muck that, that is sort of after you've harvested. And you look at it, is it, is it good for anything other than scraping up and, and making a fire out of? No. Why? Because there's no life in it. It blows away. It's sort of the, the hollowness, the emptiness of it is exposed by the wind. And this is the way life becomes when we, sh- we pursue blessing and other things. What appears to be life and meaning and depth and happiness and favor is actually empty and hollow and lifeless and it's easily blown away and undone. When trial comes, gone. When pain comes, gone. When sin comes, gone. Lifeless, empty, the opposite of thriving. And so again, let me ask, where are you pursuing blessing? whether it be in success and achievement or wealth or comfort or entertainment or in that perfect marriage and that perfect family or in the freedom of self-expression, whatever it may be. How many times have you already experienced this where, whoom, blows away like chaff? Well, let's be honest. 
Uh, how, how often have you already experienced the failure of these, these things? The, the shallowness of the source of these things is blessing. Or how about this? What kind of person is it making you? Is it making you a person with deep roots and depth of soul? Or is it making you a person that's shallow and hollow and empty? Is it making you more joy-filled and grace-filled and love-filled and faith-filled and more righteous and more honest and more good and sacrificial and emotionally and spiritually healthy? Or something entirely different? Or how about the people you are seeking favor from? Like how strong and secure is that favor? Is it only as strong as your performance? Oh, if that's the case, my heart hurts for you. If favor is only and as good as you can perform, I'm so sorry. And I say that in all sincerity because I know that is a hard place to live in. But that's what happens when we chase blessing in these sources. When you seek favor from others, what effect does that have? Does that bring life to you? Does that bring depth? Does that bring beauty? Does that bring righteousness and goodness and grace and mercy and peace? I'll be honest. Just, just be honest right where you are. Be honest about what, what goes on in your soul and the effect that that pursuit is having. Because when we're honest, when we're able to sort of steal away and have those quiet moments and reflect in our soul, I think we feel that. We can feel like chaff. We can feel like life, we can feel like our soul, we can feel like everything around us is just kind of blowing away, empty and hollow. But here's what's sad, is rather than repenting and turning to the Lord, too often we dig in our heels and just try to work harder. I'm going to grind it out. If I work harder, if I achieve more, if I, if I get more comfort, if I get more wealth, if I work harder at that relationship, if I gain more favor, then maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll root deep enough this time. But over and over and over, it's not going to work. Because here's the truth too. God opposes that pursuit. It's not just that it's empty. It's not just that it's fleeting. It's not just that it's shallow. God opposes it. God sees it as rebellion and pride and selfishness and he opposes it. As the end of Psalm 1 vividly declares, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Look, because God is good, because he is righteous, because he is holy, because he cares deeply about the mess that we make and the damage that we do when we selfishly pursue blessing in, our, in the sort of self-made and using people, because he opposes that and the damage it does, he brings judgment. He, he judges sin, righteously so. And, and that chaff that blows away, it's not just in this life, but if we live our entire lives pursuing blessing apart from God at the end, when all is said and done, when all is laid bare, when all is exposed, we will face judgment. God will bring an end to our selfish pursuit. He will bring an end to that self-destructive pursuit. This should sober us. Like it should cause us to stop and pause and, and, and kind of come out of our stupor and consider the path that we're on, to consider the ways that we're being formed, to consider how our heart is being shaped and whether that is leading to life and righteousness and to God himself 
or if it's leading to judgment. But in the midst of this, there's great hope. Like if we sober up and recognize the broken ways we pursue blessing, there's incredible hope for us. Because the truth is, look, we don't deserve blessing. Like the way that we have run our lives, the way that we have pursued trying to make things for ourselves has led to so much destruction and sin and, and dysfunction. Like we deserve God's judgment. Well, let's be honest about that. But this is the exact place where God's blessing starts. The, the very place where you recognize that you deserve judgment. The very place that you recognize that the life that you're leading and the way that you've been formed is shaft. Is the very place God's blessing first meets you. So, so here's the truth for, for those who would have read Psalm 1 in the original context. So the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, they would have read Psalm 1 and they would have seen that line, the one who delights in the law of God. And here's what they would have thought. Here's what they would have recognized. That the law of God is not just, hey, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt do this. No, the law of God encompasses an entire covenant, the, the entire story of God redeeming them out of slavery calling them to be his people, saying, you belong to me now. I'm going to bless you with salvation. That was God moving first. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. There was nothing special about them. It was God saying, hey, I made a promise. I'm going to keep it, and I'm going to love you out of my grace and my mercy. And what Israel would have also recognized is this. Hey, we blow it all the time. And so within God's law is this provision of mercy and grace that when we turn from our sin— that the sacrifices that are provided for us for forgiveness and we turn toward God, there's blessing in that. There's grace in that. There's mercy in that. And so God is continually leaning in with his grace and mercy to save. And then his law is a delight because his law leads us into righteousness. It leads us into life. It leads us into flourishing. And the same is true for us. You see, all of those promises of salvation, all of that sacrificial system, all was pointing to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of God's promise, the, the most beautiful and pure blessing that we have ever experienced poured out on us. When Jesus stepped into our world and he engaged our brokenness, engaged our sin, and he loved us, and he served, and he cast out demons, and he healed the sick, and he pushed back against darkness, and he willingly died on the cross for our sin, for our rebellion. But then he was resurrected in glory, in power, in victory, and now he's seated at the right hand of God and he's poured out his spirit on us. All of that to bless you and I. All of that to bless those who turn from their sin and follow Christ. And so here's the incredible hope for us. You don't have to earn God's blessing. If you think you do, you're missing the point. If, if you're still trying to earn God's blessing, you're missing the point. Jesus holds out the blessing freely for you. And so when we recognize that we have been blessed because nothing of our own, nothing that we have done, but because God is rich in mercy, God is rich in grace, God is not reluctant to bless, but he's eager to bless, that will cause us to run to him. That will cause us to delight in him. That will cause us to want to be shaped and formed and transformed into the image of Jesus, to want more of his power, more of his truth, more of his goodness, more of his beauty to affect our souls and shape our lives. 
And so church, as we think about being formed as the people of God, as we think about what it means to live the blessed life, let us always start with Christ. Let us always start with this incredible truth that God has poured out his blessing on us. Let us rejoice in that. Let us take comfort in that. Let us be humbled by that and bring us to greater repentance. Bring us to continually bringing our sins into the light and experience his renewal and his restoration and his transformation. Let us be humble as we approach God's word and ask him to change us and transform us. Let us desire more of the life of Christ in us so that we may go into this world and love people and serve people and make disciples. All of that starts, all of that life, all of that faith, all of that hope, all of that joy begins and ends with Jesus. And so the church, Psalm 1 lays out a blessing for us. Psalm 1 lays out a blessed life and that arrow and that path lead right to Christ. And so I want us all to see our blessing in Jesus and let that blessing well up in us, transform us, and then lead us out into this world. Amen.